We're almost at the end of this magic ride that we call pregnancy, enduring a hot, sultry Tuscan summer, before a well-deserved pause to welcome our baby girl into the world and to get used to a completely new life, I'm so happy to share a conversation I had a few weeks ago with Irina Georgescu about her cookbook, Carpazia. I like how she intertwines recipes, traditions and superstitions, like when she mentions garlic or when she says that eating horseradish before Easter will bring you health all year round. I like when she explains that Romanian people welcome official guests with bread and salt, the first to celebrate an alliance, the latter for prosperity. Before the new episode, I would love to thank you for the precious support. I'm really touched by your comments, humbled by your feedback, happy to know that this podcast brings some peace, inspiration, practical advice and lightheartedness in your daily life during such difficult times. If you want to stay updated as not to miss a single episode, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you are listening to a podcast and share Cooking with Antenian Accent with your friends. If you like this show and you're listening to this podcast on an Apple device, please consider rating and reviewing the show. How to do it? It is very simple and straightforward. Open the podcast app, click on our podcast and scroll to the bottom to the podcast main page. There, you can rate and review the show. This will help us enormously to be more visible so that new people can discover us and share the same passion for Italian food. Last but not least, don't forget to visit juleskitchen.com for new recipes and stories from Tuscany. And now, let's start. Ciao, my name is Giulia Scarpaleggia. I am a Tuscan-born and bred country girl, a home cook, a food writer and a photographer. I teach Tuscan cooking classes in my house in the countryside and I've been sharing honest, reliable Italian recipes for 10 years now through my cookbooks and my blog, juleskitchen.com. If you love everything about Italian food, big crowded tables and seasonal ingredients, join us and follow this podcast, Cooking with an Italian Accent. My name is Giulia Scarpaleggia and you are listening to Cooking with an Italian Accent, episode 42. So here we are. Uh, hi, Irina. Thank you so much for joining me today uh, for this episode of our podcast. And uh, this episode will be all about your wonderful new book, Carpazia. So before delving into the book, can you please introduce yourself? Hi, Giulia. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm Irina Georgescu. I um, I was born in Romania in Bucharest, and now I, I live in uh, in the UK in Wales, where I write about Romanian cuisine, and I promote on my social media Romanian dishes. I I fell in love with your dishes. I think first it was on Instagram or on Twitter. Uh, I don't remember where. And really, I, I was fascinated by the the beautiful pictures and how the food was. Um, really appetizing and vibrant with colors and uh, flavors. So this is where where I found you first so on social media. So you're doing a very good job on social media <laughs> to promote your uh, <laughs> Romanian dishes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. This is what I wanted to do with the book uh, in the first place, to, to show people how colorful it is and... Uh, you know how beautiful the the pottery is as well, Romanian mm-hmm. traditional pottery and um, the fabrics and everything. So I just wanted the book to be full of color and just to show Romania in this book as beautiful as it is in reality. And you perfectly managed to do that because really I was googling every town you were mentioning or area and I was telling to my husband we have to go here <laughs> look how beautiful it is we have to go there <laughs> so in like in the space of the book uh, from the beginning to to finish I added Romania and several places in Romania to the top of my travel list from where I'll be able to travel again so really if this was your aim <laughs> writing the book it really worked Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Well, so my first question is somehow related to this, because in the book introduction, 
You say that you hope that this book will help to dispel some of the misconceptions about Romania and its people. Can you give me some examples and most importantly, which are the most striking characteristics of Romanian people that you love? Oh, there are so many characteristics of, of um, you know, my family and everything. Mm. But um, I think what I meant in the book at the beginning, in the introduction, um, you know, I was kind of, I was in the UK during the, um, the Brexit campaign when um, the UK wanted to, you know, campaign against the European Union. So in the newspapers and um, on TV, the, you know, Romanians were portrayed in different ways, you know, that mm-hmm. maybe they were here to do like very cheap jobs uh, or maybe to take other people's jobs or maybe to, I don't know, take advantage of some, you know, the social system here or, you know, they were associated with uh, criminal offences. And, you know, I don't say that sometimes it doesn't happen like this, you know, Mm -hmm. but it can't be and it's not all that, um, that bad. So, but obviously, you know, the, the media, if they go and look for something like this, the news along these lines, you will definitely find, they will definitely find examples. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of, um, you know, a bit frustrated that nobody's there to say something good about Romania, you know, and um, I felt a bit, you know, isolated. Yes. Um and also, you know, when I, people ask, you know, where are you from, Irina and stuff. So I kind of, I, I always said Romania, but sometimes I was thinking maybe I shouldn't say Romania, <laughs> um, you know, because people know something about Romania, the way they read in, uh, in, in newspapers or the way they, they hear about Romanians on TV. Um, so I wasn't, I didn't want to not to say that I was from Romania. So I, I I was kind of thinking that bit by bit, we need to start saying good things about Romanians because That's true. the vast majority of us, the ones that um, chose to live abroad or work abroad, um, are doing a very good job and they are working hard and they were sending money back home for their kids and their families and this is not an easy life. It's it's hard life. It's hard work, mm-hmm. and also very it's very hard to uh, live away from your family. Yeah. So, um, but you see, nobody nobody was looking at that uh, this uh, of uh, this aspect of of our lives. So, um, Romanians are really kind of. Um, I think they are famous for their hospitality. If you go to mm-hmm. Romania, you would be just so surprised by this. And obviously, uh, this is something that I love because it's related. Hospitality is related to food in our culture. Yes. So mm-hmm. you know, when you have someone visiting, you just put everything that you have on the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, loads of dishes. Um, you know, starters, mains, desserts, uh, pre pre starters, pre pre things, <laughs> all sorts of things. It starts with it's a long, long uh, process. This to to uh, dine with uh, with Romanians um, it takes a long time. So we like that hospitality, and we like to to be with our families and uh, with our extended families as well, and with our friends. Uh, and we have a very good sense of humor. So mm-hmm. we ca- we like this, um, and obviously we like we like good food. And when we cook, we cook that we can actually feed the whole village or the whole <laughs> block of apartments you see yes. so it's like big portions and everything you know really kind of do you want seconds you know you have to have seconds you have to have seconds go sounds very italian as well yes <laughs> <laughs> i know just in case you go you get hungry you know in the next yeah. five minutes just have some more so um so this is what i really you know like about um, and I you know, like about my family and my friends and everything. So I wanted people to know about this and and to know how much we value our, our you know family recipes and family traditions. And exactly like you say, it's like the Italians. We really believe that if a recipe 
um, uh, is made by our moms or grandmothers is the best recipe. If it's not made by our mothers or grandmothers, it's something is wrong with it. So it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. And all of this, it's very clear throughout the book uh, from the recipes and the memories you are sharing uh, because you feel really uh, this enthusiasm and generosity to share not only the food on the plate, but really, you know, the space of your house, the the love and the friend and the friendship of your family. So this is really getting through the book, really. Thank you. I'm very very glad. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I love your book, so <laughs> I'll be very enthusiastic throughout the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. But um, a bit back to your life, you grew up in Bucharest and it was under the communist rule. How did this influence your childhood and also uh, the food you could get or cook? Oh, yes. Um, well, I, th- uh, I, was, I was born right towards the end of the communist regime. It's like, I don't know, like 10 years um, kind of before that. And mm-hmm. uh, the regime was really harsh during those those times i think after the seven, uh, 75 or 77 the regime got really really harsh so we didn't really have um where to shop or what to shop you, you know mm. you went to a shop and it was just full of jars of some sort of pickled beetroot and pickled uh, cabbage and some tins of sardines mm-hmm. and some carrots i mean you you really didn't have um what to do with all of them, and a lot of the food was rationed, so uh, obviously cooking oil and flour and butter and eggs um you only had a little bit of each um mm-hmm. per family per month, or you know whenever the shops were had any stocks or anything like that so um we really you know my my dad and my mom had to queue a lot to get all these ingredients because even if it was rationed it 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 was just not enough for everyone so we always had this kind of um we were ready to queue whenever you know so mm-hmm. me coming back from school seeing that someone was some people were queuing i was right there you know just in case there was something we needed sometimes i had no mm-hmm. idea what it was <laughs> but it could have been meat you could have been um, a flower or anything so um and you know we were helping each other you know the people in the queue kind of saying can you look after my place here because i'll go mm-hmm. and tell my mom that i'm here you know so it was really kind of um it kind of united, mm-hmm. <laughs> united us, you know. Um, so, yes, yeah, sometimes we didn't necessarily have all the ingredients to make a cake, for instance. So maybe we had the flour, but we didn't have the eggs and so on. Um, but we really had um, compots and jams that we had to, to prepare in the summer and, and in the autumn. So really, when we didn't have cakes or anything like that, we had something in the pantry to to mm-hmm. eat something sweet. I mean, I remember the Queen's compotes. They, they were really, really delicious. And my grandmother in the countryside, she had a, a Queen's tree. So really, really nice. Um, so, yes, it was, you know, we had to to eat seasonal in a way because... Mm-hmm. There were no no way there was no way for for us to get any tomatoes from Spain or from Italy or anything mm-hmm. like that. So it was everything that was grown in the country was at the market as well. But you know when tomatoes were out of season, we just didn't eat tomatoes. It was that simple, and we didn't expect yeah. to find tomatoes anywhere or. The same with strawberries or the same with cherries, you know, everything very seasonal, um, which was, now thinking about it, was a good thing. But I yeah, think it was that's what quite... I wanted to say. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to say it's a good thing, but at least it teaches you something. Yes, it teaches you, uh, you know, seasonality, first of all, and how yeah. things, um, you know, they, this... Um, um, 
repetitiveness, let's say, of the season mm-hmm. and what to expect and when and how to celebrate it. I mean, I remember the aubergines. They mm-hmm. are always really good, like end of um, July or August. They are in season then. So everyone was eating aubergines because the markets was were full. Yeah. And doing making the aubergine dip, you know, the one with the, when you char grill the aubergines. Um, but also preserving them for the for the winter to have aubergines later later in the winter, uh, because when they were gone, we're gone. Bye bye. We yeah. had to wait for the next uh, next season, for the next year, next season. Yes, yes, to enjoy them. So in a way, you know, we appreciated food more because yeah. there was no way to just find it, um, find them in the shops. Yeah. Um, and sounds like very much like the Italian cucina povera, which is you have to do with what you can find in season. And there's an absolute uh, uh, no to waste because in this situation, you cannot waste uh, a single crumb of bread. Yes, it's true. You make bre- uh, breadcrumbs <laughs> if you have yeah, exactly. you know, say <laughs> bread. You don't put it in the bin because, you know, you have yeah. what to do with it. Um, and you know, so in a way, this is what happened in in communities. But you know, it was mm-hmm. quite hard to, you know, imagine you go to a shop and you don't have anything to buy. Yeah. Just unthinkable. But yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in, in nowadays, it's really impossible to figure this out. But uh, unfortunately, there are countries where it's still like this, and so yeah, we had to reflect on how lucky we are now to have yeah. whatever we want in shops. Yeah. Yes, yeah. definitely. This abundance of uh, produce. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I am very grateful. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And so speaking of ingredients, uh, you mentioned some of the ingredients, but um, which are the staple ingredients of the Romanian cuisine? Oh, okay. Um <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that in the book, I just, I just have it yes. here probably <laughs> going through it, uh, because it was funny the other day, but um, I start with pork, I say the, the first mm-hmm. ingredient, it's, it's pork, and someone on social media just sent me a, a photo of my page in the book and saying, you got that right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'm glad I got that right. It's, um, it's the fact that we prefer to eat pork. Um, mm-hmm. And then obviously we eat beef, uh, we eat mutton as well, uh, mm-hmm. we eat lamb uh, only at Easter. So lamb wow. for us is very seasonal. So we mm-hmm. only eat also for us. Uh, yes. So um, and uh, obviously chicken, but pork you will find pork very often in in our in our dishes. Um, and I think that mainly it's because the the pig is a very resilient animal. So you put it anywhere, anywhere in the country, and it it's doing well. So um, it doesn't necessarily need extra care or anything extra because it's kind of, um, you know, good to be to have it around the farm. So um, so that's that's one of uh, one of our. Um, staple ingredients let's put mm-hmm. it for the main courses is is pork um then another staple ingredient is the is the sour dairy so we don't use milk like uh, we don't put it in coffee or we don't put it in mm-hmm. tea uh but we eat yogurt and buttermilk and sour cream so these are really um, and there are different types and made in different regions. And if you go to a shop, you will find um, a huge variety. So you can say, I want this one from Banat or I want this one from Moldova, you know. So there are different like uh, levels of thickness and all sorts of things. Mm. So it's kind of fascinating to, to see how many varieties we have of, of that. And sour cream, the same. So... We cook with sour dairy quite a lot, whether we just use it as a topping, like to polenta mm-hmm. or to soups, um, where sour dairy adds that tangy element to a soup. Mm. Or we obviously add it to desserts, but we also cook, we also bake bread with it and we mm. also make cakes uh, with sour dairy. I mean, yogurt cake, 
I have an apricot and yogurt cake in the mm. book that's actually yes. going around the world at the moment. So yeah. people are posting the photos and I'm so proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfectly on season. <laughs> yes. You know, it's so nice to see you know one of my childhood um cakes to kind of you know be baked by so many people so so such an amazing feeling um yeah so we we use it in as an ingredient which is which is really good sour dairy is very very healthy Mm -hmm. so we get all the benefits of of it when we cook with it um the other ingredient um i put here in the book is polenta so Mm -hmm cornmeal um we cook with polenta a lot maize maize flour um Mm -hmm. and you know it's kind of um i know it's popular in italy but i think it's even more popular (laughs) (laughs) we kind of eat it um we can eat it for breakfast as a porridge for instance You know, you make, uh, you boil it with milk and honey yes. and you top it with a jam or fresh fruit. Um, or recently I, I made a dish that is uh, popular in Moldova. So it's in um, Eastern Romania. Uh, you mix some um, strawberries with sour cream and then you make mm-hmm. a porridge from polenta, sweet, por- ah. sweet polenta with honey, and you serve the 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 strawberries with the sour cream on top of the polenta and it's a very very nice dessert it's very comforting um so we eat polenta like that Uh, we can eat polenta as a starter and i think Mm -hmm. you see it in the book i have a savory polenta cake with dill and cheese Mm -hmm. uh, which again is from moldova um and we also have another starter with um, polenta filled with um, cheese and baked in the oven. Mm. Uh, and you can serve that with um, roasted vegetables or tomatoes or roasted peppers. Mm. So we have we eat polenta as a starter, but we also, like everyone else, eat polenta as a side dish, you know, like yeah. polenta to stews or even to fish to and even to to soups as well you know polenta is instead of we eat it instead of bread basically oh yes um we also eat polenta like um like a lasagna so we make layers of polenta and we've put different fillings in between Ah. whether it's cheese or whether it's like a a vegetable stew or Mm -hmm. Or pancetta, or you know, like um, minced meat. So we have so many ways to to use polenta because I think for a while maize um, wasn't um, taxed as a grain the way mm-hmm. wheat used to be taxed. So yeah. obviously, because it was a new grain in the 16th, 17th century, uh, maize corn wasn't taxed. So um it was really popular with uh as you said cucina cucina povera yes exactly just like in italy yeah yeah so that's why kind of in in traditional romanian cooking you will see polenta in so many different ways used um um ev- ev- you know with every dish um yeah um and there are a few others i put in the book in, in terms of staple ingredients obviously we love garlic so that is something. <laughs> um, and garlic is just um, has this kind of symbolic role. It's, it goes beyond an ingredient. You also use it on St. Andrew's Day at the end of uh, November when you put garlic around the house just to keep the evil spirits away. Um, you know, all sorts of things uh, like that. You know, garlic also in spring when you have like fresh garlic it represents renewal and everything green you know that is very mm-hmm. symbolic so um we love garlic from so many for so many reasons you know you use it in religious celebrations so it's all part of a of the peasant life in a way the countryside yeah. life it's not just an ingredient I really love this about um, your book, all the superstitions and traditions that you tell along with the ingredients. Uh, it's really something more that you, it makes you love the book even more, really. 
<laughs> Thank you. It's the way we live in the countryside. It's, uh, and I'm sure in, in Italy it's the same. It's uh, Food is part of traditions and traditions yes. are part of religion as well. And yeah. also food is part of seasons and traditions are part of seasons. So it's this kind of circle where all yeah. these elements are, are together and um, the borders between them are not very clear. So they, they, they cross <laughs> cross the lines all the time you know so yes. that, that's really good because with food you kind of uh you go beyond nourishment it's uh it's for the soul as well and it's for bringing communities together as well yeah it's a way also to to, to speak about life and to uh, understand many aspects of your daily life or rituals of life Yes. So it's incredible. Yeah. And uh, it really, um, like with garlic, it's incredible because it's seasonal. It's one of your favorite ingredients, but also tells a lot about your traditions and superstitions. So it's really interesting. Absolutely interesting. Yeah. Keeps the vampires away. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. How to, how to forget this. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. Um Okay, so now all with all these ingredients, let's get to cooking and to a typical menu. Uh, I was very curious about the Romanian medzi style starters. So which are the most common and which is your favorite? So the one we should absolutely try. Right. So the thing with which one is my favorite is very hard to say because unfortunately for me, I like everything. <laughs> And I eat a lot of everything. Um, yes, I mean, the, the meze style, you know, sounds really Greek, but it can be tapas or, you know, it's mm -hmm. small plates that um, are put on the table um, and we just mix and match and we, you know, fill our plates with everything. Um, we do have, I think that you have to try when, if you go um, to Romania and if you, you know, are in a Romanian restaurant, you need to try the aubergine dip that I have. Mm. I also have it in the book because it's iconic. Um, so you char grill the aubergines and then you just uh, try not to mix, not to cook, not to use uh, metal utensils because sometimes the aubergine interact with metal and they get really bitter. Mm. So just try with wooden spoon and, you know, um, and mix. After, after you cook them, you just mix them with oil um just to emulsify them a bit and then you put uh red onions and that's it really that it is mm -hmm. that simple and i put fennel seeds on top because i mm -hmm. think fennel works so well and also they, it's a bit crunchy so it's it's really it's really good so this salad always goes with the char grilled pepper salad Mm -hmm. So when you char grill the peppers, you peel them and then you make a garlic vinaigrette and you put it on of top. Of course, garlic. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You will hear me saying garlic a lot. And well, not when we talk about desserts, but who knows? Maybe I'll find <laughs> the recipe for that. <laughs> garlic cake. Um, yes. So this aubergine dip with the peppers, uh, with the pepper salad, they go together. So when, if it is to order in a restaurant. I think the, the waiter will actually ask you, do you want the peppers too? Because it, they, they go to get together very well. Um, mm. And then we also have the uh, butter bean dip, which is a sort of a hummus, but made, made with butter beans. Mm -hmm. And again, uh, you always only use oil to emulsify it. And then you put some water as well. Um, and that makes it really fluffy, really nice. And if you eat dairy, then you can also add a, um, a tablespoon of yogurt, if you like, or sour cream. Um, but if you don't, if you want a vegan dish, mm -hmm. then that's perfect. And we always make this kind of crispy onions on top. So I make some in the, in the book, I have the onions uh, cooked with paprika because paprika is, again, something that we use very often in our cooking. Um, So, and then we have in the autumn, we make this dish called zakuska. 
and we eat mm. it through the winter and even in spring. Which that is, was one of my favorite on your book. <laughs> it's gorgeous and it's a gorgeous color and it's very easy to make, although some people say it's time consuming. But you start it on, uh, on the stove and then you put it in the oven and then forget about it because it just cooks and reduces there and the, the flavor is amazing. So again, char-grilled aubergines, char-grilled peppers, um, onions, carrots, um, tomatoes. So mm. all those flavors, then they will just come together and infuse and reduce in the oven. And it's just such a good dish. Um, and you will have it on the menu as well. So that's part of the meze, meze um, um, style starter. Mm-hmm. But we also have the charcuterie. So... I have in the book, I, I put our slanina is the pork lardo that we cure at home. But we also have loads of other salamis and sausages that are absolutely delicious. So the salads that I mentioned and the dips that I mentioned before uh, can be put alongside mm-hmm. platters of charcuterie and also platters of cheese. So, and then you serve everything with red onion, raw, because Mm -hmm. we like it like that. (laughs) And with some, obviously, garlic, vinaigrette and things. And potato bread. Uh, Mm. And it's just, you know, um, I usually eat a lot of the starters. I I eat a lot then. And then I can't eat the main. That was my question. (laughs) How can you eat something more after? (laughs) And then I take a break and eat the cakes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, because with all this amazing food, how can you? I mean, pass something. So you have to try everything, and then you don't have space in your stomach for something else. I know, and I just couldn't put them all in the book. I mean, I didn't put the tara masalata, um, mm-hmm. you know, the fish roe that we do, we make, and that's popular as well. Um, you know, mackerel salad, I put it in the book as well, but it's part of the, you know, so you have so many on the table that actually is just, it's just, uh, it's comforting only to look at that. (laughs) (laughs) But is it common? Like if you go out uh, with friends, for example, is it common to order many starters like this and then skip the main course and go to the dessert? Or do you make like a point of honor and then you have to eat also main course? Yeah, you eat. If you go out and you go to a Romanian restaurant, then you start mm-hmm. with these starters. And usually the dishes are quite small. So mm-hmm. you kind of take a little bit of everything. But um, yes, you start with those, with all of them, because you can't really have, as I said, the aubergine without the peppers. And you can't really sure. have, not have the butter bean dip because that's so good. And then you think, oh, they have zakuska. Let's order some of that. So you order everything, yes. And then uh, we also have a section on the menu that is uh, uh, with warm starters. So where you have some um, uh, some sort of um, uh, stuffed um, mushrooms, for instance. Mm. Uh, so you can order, these are cold starters, and then you can order warm starters as well. Uh, and after that, if you want... You can order a borscht, so that is a broth mm. um, that you can eat, and then have the main, and, and then have the dessert, and then have dessert. coffee. <laughs> and you. then you crawl home. <laughs> oh, you just sleep there at the restaurant. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's incredible. I mean, the the love you have for food is so contagious. It's incredible. <laughs> And you mentioned bread. You mentioned bread among the appetizers, and bread is very important to Romanian people. I especially love the bits of tradition behind the kolak. I don't know if, if I pronounce it right. Um, can you tell me some, something more about this? Yes, well, uh, bread is kind of, um, again, really um, full of symbolism mm. from the you know, traditions and um and the um, importance of wheat, obviously, in um, any, I think in any cultures around the world, you know, wheat is yeah. really important in its status as well. Uh, it's, um, you know, the, the king of grains. So um, for us, bread is, um, it's always used in celebrations um, or I would, let's say rather in very important moments. 
So whether are religious celebrations or, you know, whether it's Easter or it's Christmas, we make this collage. They are small mm. or they are large or they are decorated or just plain. Um, they, they can be anything as long as they are round. Um, and sometimes they have a hole in the middle or sometimes they are just round. So they don't necessarily have to have that. Um, so we use them for, you know, our Valentine's Day. We make little collage that we um, um, share with other people. Uh, we make them of funerals as well, that we take mm. them to church to be blessed by the priest uh, and then share it with, with people and even with strangers at the church and just give them away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they need to be blessed first because that is, again, um, you know, quite quite important, mm-hmm. um, and obviously they are they are made at weddings. So the, the story in my in my book with that uh, with the kolak I made is that you you break that bread above the the bride's head, mm-hmm. and you count the crumbs, and you hope that the crumbs will predict the number of children she will have. <laughs> which is quite scary. <laughs> yes, <laughs> many crumbs. 200. <laughs> 200. <laughs> uh, something fun, you know, quite fun to, to make. But, yeah. you know, sometimes um, we um, plant some seeds in bread and we put it on the windowsill. And that can be garlic, for instance, garlic cloves. Uh, and you put it on the windowsill and... Um, if it sprouts quickly, then you will have a, a very good year or uh, you can get married that year. Oh. <laughs> and of course, you have garlic yes. and bread. <laughs> yes, oh, you see. That's incredible. <laughs> that's incredible. Do you still like follow some of these traditions? I do. Uh, yes, we have all sorts. I mean... Uh, I do the garlic thing in um, on St. Andrew's Day, the, the mm-hmm. uh, last day in November, uh, when I just put some garlic around the house. Mm-hmm. I also, we make the sign of, um, of the cross three times above a, a loaf of bread before we slice it first time. Mm-hmm. So I do the same here three times. Uh, and my British husband first time was, was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Is this something? What is it? <laughs> it becomes so natural. Uh, but I didn't realize, you know? you know, I was doing it. it was just something that people do. Yeah. 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 So I do follow. I do follow some of some of the traditions. N- not all of them, but yeah. Of course. <laughs> but it's good because it's a way of you know being close to home uh, and making something which is very natural for you like you were saying the cross you don't even think about it you make it because it's it's in your dna it's something you have always seen and you always made that's that's incredible um speaking of traditions uh another tradition you mentioned in the book is that of borscht and siorba siorba i don't know how to pronounce it uh, yes correctly it's good good, (laughs) okay Why are they so special and unique to the Romanian culture? What was the first time I was hearing about uh, these two recipes? Yes. Um, so a borscht is something that um, you f- you make at home, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, you ferment wheat bran with um, cornmeal, uh, and then you put, put some bread in there as well, and then you put herbs um just for flavor or you can just put wheat bran and water and that's it so it can be very simple Mm -hmm. and you ferment those ingredients uh at home in the summer uh it probably takes two three days um but here in the uk it takes two weeks (laughs) to do it Yes, almost. So, and then what you do, you you um, strain that liquid, so to separate all the, you know, the wheat bran and all the mm-hmm. uh, the herbs, and you use the liquid in in broths. 
So you make a, a chicken broth, for instance, or a vegetable broth. It can be anything. Uh, pork broth, um, beef, anything. Um, obviously vegetarian or non-vegetarian. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of the cooking process, you add 200 meals, 500 meals, depending on how large the pot is. Uh, you add this borscht to, to the broth to make it a bit tangy mm-hmm. and sour but it's not necessary it doesn't have to be very sour it's um you know if you like things quite tangy and like that then you can mature it for longer you know when you make the borscht but if you don't like them very tangy but you want all the benefits of something that is fermented like sauerkraut mm-hmm. um you just add the liquid so everything any broth that is made with this ingredients it's called borscht because it's made mm-hmm. with borscht. Um, so as I said, uh, it can be anything, even with forage ingredients. I made um, a nettle borscht this oh. spring because there were nettles everywhere here and they were young and fresh and delicious. Mm-hmm. So I thought, mm, let's make a borscht. So everything <laughs> be a borscht if you use that ingredient. Um but because we we like this kind of this type of of soup of broth in Romania, uh, we we like the the sour element, add the acidity added to it. So if we don't want to use a borscht because we don't want to ferment it for so many days or something, we can use vinegar, for instance, mm. or we can use unripe tomatoes, or we can use unripe fruit. You know, uh, like plums when they are quite. Mm quite green and not bitter you know you can just um stew them quickly and add that to the um to the soup so um but also we can use sour dairy as i said you know like uh, sour cream to put in the soup with um we combine it with the egg and you put it in the soup just at the end of the cooking process because you know the sour the cream splits basically yes. so you need to temper it and put it at the end in um in the broth so and everything that is uh, that uses a sour element like this is called chorba mm. so you know that mm. if you eat a borscht you will have the borscht in it the ingredients if you eat a chorba you need to ex- to ex- to to kind of expect something um kind of tangy and sour yeah. so whether it's vinegar or a fruit or even, you know, tomatoes or um, sour cream with egg. So that is the mm-hmm. difference between between them. And they can be anything, as I said, vegetarian, vegan, you know, you, all the combinations are, are welcome there. So, and it's really delicious. And on actually on a hot summer's day, it's very refreshing. Yes, I can imagine. Yes. <laughs> I can send you, I can send you one from the UK. <laughs> yeah. It's very hot in Italy now. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have um, not something like this, but you know, thinking about vinegar, we make panzanella, which is stale bread soaked in water, mm. and then you add uh, cucumbers, you add tomatoes, uh, onion, red onion, and then vinegar, and that's w- what it makes really refreshing and ideal for summer. So I can really imagine how uh, borscht or uh, chorba could be refreshing in a hot summer like this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's very good. <laughs> so first starters, then a broth. Now let's move to the main course. <laughs> you list such an incredible array of meat and fish dishes, and one is more enticing than the other. But I was particularly intrigued by the gammon stuffed apples, as they perfectly represent the Romanian love for fruit, mixed with meat in main courses. Can you tell us something about this habit um, of using meat, um, fruit with meat and give us some more examples? Yes. Um, well, this is um, quite specific to Transylvania and to a region in, in the West called Banat. Um, mm-hmm. And I think very often when we refer to this kind of dishes, we also think of the uh, German influence in uh, our mm. Where they love fruit with meat, so um, it's um, it's very common in that part of, of Romania. But actually, we 
kind of like it everywhere now in the country. So it's um, all over the country. I think the perfect dish for for something like this is the um, chicken with the queen's stew. And mm-hmm. there is a version of it in, in the book as well. Um, and also, obviously, the, this recipe with the apples, but also we have uh, another dish with chicken and apricots. Um, mm. And the soup caught with um, beef and pears. Mm. So yeah, that's that's really good. It's really really good. And also, obviously, you are you can add sour cream to uh, all of them. <laughs> of course, <laughs> yeah. When in doubt, add sour cream. Um, so this is um, this is a very interesting way because um, to eat both um, ingredients at the same time. It's uh, because Romania has so many fruit trees and the summers are really good. And obviously summers and autumns, the the climate is really good. So we love everything that's fruit. And it starts mm-hmm. with, you know, cherries and sour cherries, uh, apricots, plums, mm. apples, peaches, everything. So not only, they don't only go into jams, um or compotes but they go as a main course you know you just pick something from the garden you have some gammon in the house you know (laughs) so uh, this just proves that we actually are used to eating what is in season uh with whatever other staple ingredients we have in the house yeah yeah, and it's a very very nice way. They are not very they are not very sweet. I mean, if you think of fresh apricots, they are quite tangy. Yeah, so, they are. Yeah, with with the chicken in a stew, this is this is really um, kind of a again a, a refreshing dish. Uh, quite light, although you eat meat, but mm-hmm. um, it's it's quite good. And the queen stew as well. Also, the queen stew is uh, popular on Lent days because obviously you don't add the chicken. But it has a, a savory caramel sauce, so the sweetness and the because the the queens kind of require a bit of sweetness anyway when when you cook them. Uh, it's a delightful stew, you know. It's a very perfumed, very very nice. Oh, fantastic, and really all very seasonal, like a celebration of seasons. So this is what makes really. Uh, contemporary and with a you know sense of time because now we all want to celebrate the season and you see how traditional recipes they were already doing this uh, since the beginning of time yes i mean they knew better we have another dish that but it's not with meat is uh, a pilaf with smoked prunes and mm-hmm. that is really popular uh, on lent days uh, and this is a thing that we do with fruit we cold smoke them in, mm-hmm. as a preserving method and actually, it's very clever because when you don't eat meat or you eat vegan, you kind of need to build up the flavors, you know, to yeah. build the layers of flavor. And smokiness is a, it's an incredible flavor to add to something that otherwise can be quite probably too simple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I can taste it in my mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now let's move to the dessert chapter. This is one of my favorite uh, from your book because I have a sweet tooth. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is rich with recipes, uh, even though you say that Romanians don't eat dessert every day. Which are the most important influences in Romanian pastry traditions? And then, since it's difficult to choose, which dessert should I bake first if I want the taste, uh, the real taste of, of a Romanian dessert? <laughs> it's so hard to choose. Yeah, I know. That's why I asked you. <laughs> you need to eat at least three. Um, yeah. Well, the thing is, um, to keep the story short in a way, the thing is that Romania uh, has many influences. And in a way, that's why the book is called Carpathia, because it mm-hmm. comes from the Carpathia Mountains, which basically are right in the middle of the country. And they create these regions like in the south and in in the east we kind of eat more greek and turkish because it was under the turkish empire for so many centuries but in the middle when you cross the the mountains in the center and the west you eat more germanic or hungarian dishes and even the hungarians eat romanian dishes and so Mm -hmm. on so it's a 
you know, um, very multicultural um, in those areas because we were under the Habsburg Empire, Austro-Hungarian Empire for centuries again. So we kind of have desserts and we have dishes from all these cultures um, here on the, you know, in Romania. So I would say that probably from the south, uh, you will basically uh, have to eat a placinta, which is... Mm. um, made normally with the sort of phyllo pastry, which is associated with Greek and with Greece as well, and obviously Turkey and the Byzantine Empire. Um, So it's just um, two layers of dough, phyllo pastry, and a filling in the middle. Um, That is a placinta. It can be apple, can be any fruit. It can be pumpkin. Uh, it can be obviously curd cheese with sultanas and eggs. Uh, mm. It can be on any of that. It can be savory as well because I made in the book I made a placinta with meat. But talking about desserts, um, this is a very um, you know popular way to to eat desserts. Have a placinta. Uh, but also puff pastry is very is very popular. So you can have the same type of sandwich cake, let's put it this way, two layers mm-hmm. of dough and a filling in the middle, but you can have it with puff pastry. Um, and it can be square or it can be round, so you can fold it in the middle. So we have a, I have a placenta in the, in the book with cherries and puff pastry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is an interesting method to make puff, puff pastry is with warm butter rather than cold. Oh. So here we go. That's a challenge. <laughs> Uh, it's actually for me, it works better than the other classic uh, method. Uh, but it's, it's perfect for placinta like that. So I would say that if you go to Romania, you need to try a placinta. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, another influence, uh, and this is from Transylvania, and this is, you know, from the west of the country, are all sorts of desserts with donuts. So first of all, you will have to try papanash which is a curd cheese donut, ricotta mm. if you want to use. It's easier yeah. for people to actually associate the curd cheese with something uh, very popular. So use ricotta. Uh, you, don't in, you don't have to, because you use sour dairy or something, or ricotta, you don't have to proof the dough uh, overnight because usually when you make donuts, you, you need to prove the dough uh, yeah. longer and then make the actual donuts the following day. Now, with this recipe, you make the, the donuts right away, basically. And they are really, like, very soft and delicious in the middle. And, mm. a bit, you know, um, the crust outside is quite dark and is full of flavor. And we add sour cream on top and jam. So oh, this wow. is how we, yeah, imagine a donut with sour cream on top <laughs> and, you know, and with jam or a fruit. Uh, it's you know the balance between sweet and um, and sour is delicious, um, but we also have uh, pancakes. You know, mm. pancakes filled with cheese and um, and uh, sultanas and baked in um, in uh, in custard, for instance. You know, that's another dessert that we like. So, um, but also all sorts of cakes that, in a way, are have an Austrian influence. Um, I can't say there are necessarily cakes from a patisserie shop, but mm-hmm. there are cakes, layered cakes, but the tray bakes, basically. So you put a layer of dough, then you put the filling, then you put a meringue on top, for instance. So that's another uh, cake type of cake that we like. Um, and also you will find strudels. So because mm-hmm. of the filo pastry love, you know, the filo pastry Across the mountains and with the German influence, we have a lot of uh, strudels. So we eat them savory, but we eat them also um, as a as a dessert with apples or with blueberries or uh, with pumpkin. You know, so we have a pumpkin strudel that is it's very tasty. And I have in the book um, a recipe with apples and blueberries. It's called Übertita mm-hmm. because it's a swirl cake. So you basically roll a, a very long strudel and then you roll it back and you make like a wheel and uh, you bake it like that. Mm. So I think that if you really want to to taste 
<laughs> Romanian desserts. You will have to have a, a strudel. You will have to have some donuts. Uh, everything. <laughs> everything. And then obviously the most popular uh, recipe in the book is the apricot cake. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a yogurt yogurt cake with apricots. Very easy to make and um, it's absolutely delicious. And it's going around the world at the moment and everyone is baking <laughs> and sending me photos on Instagram and I absolutely love it. And I'm so grateful to everyone because they actually cook Romanian. So they yeah. make that connection that I wanted people to make to kind yeah. of see what we like and how we cook and who we are so that's amazing yeah it's incredible mm-hmm. i mean uh i don't know what to choose now because <laughs> I, i really wanted to try a dessert but you convinced me to try at least four or five of them <laughs> so we'll see i'll start baking and then i'll tell you i'll definitely want to try the apricot one yeah yes <laughs> <laughs> make that yes it's very very popular at home goes with cherries <laughs> or with plums so even if you don't uh if you miss the apricot season make it with cherries or make it with obviously make it with plums in the autumn mm. it's absolutely delicious yeah yeah mm, i can see with plums nice <laughs> <So speaking laughs> about fruit, <laughs> um i am an avid jam and compote maker so i, I really appreciated the chapter dedicated to preserves How did this activity intertwine with your family life? Have you always enjoyed it or is it something you learned to appreciate uh, as an adult? Um, yes, I think I learned to appreciate it later. But mm. as when we when I was growing up and my sister and I, we kind of we had to help mom and dad <laughs> with the with the cooking and also jam making and making tomato sauce for the winter and you know jams and compotes and all that. It's quite time consuming. Especially yeah. when you make for five people, basically, you know, because my grandmother used to come and live with mm-hmm. us during the winter because her house in the countryside was was not really suitable for, <laughs> for the winter. So anyway, so, uh, you know, mom had to cook large quantities of everything, basically, to preserve them. So we all had our thing to do, you know, our role to play in this. Um, whether I was prepping them or, you know, I don't know, chopping, slicing or anything. And, you know, my dad was always, you know, preparing the, the jars and making sure everything was safe and also. So we kind of had a, a workflow in the family. So mm-hmm. when we knew that mom had to make jam or had to make compost or stuff like that, I didn't go. I wasn't, I, I never asked, oh, mom, can I go out and play with my friends and don't help you I think she would have said yes of course but it, <laughs> it, it wasn't it wasn't in our mentality we it was an activity here we go we are making a compost we're making compost today and tomorrow so everyone come and help or making yeah. you know when you make a cherry cherry confiture then you need to 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 de-stone the cherries you know yes, all of them <laughs> Oh my God, it takes ages. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you need everyone to help because otherwise, yeah. and mom had to go to work, you know, she wasn't just at home to cook for us. So she worked eight hours a day and she also worked on a Saturday before, because before the revolution in, in 89, everyone worked on a Saturday too. So it, she was quite, a, you know, a busy, a busy yes. person. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But then you appreciate when you eat them uh, in the winter, for example, because you remember all the time you spent, you know, pitting the cherries or slicing or cutting. So, I yeah. know. <laughs> you, really was, yeah, you had more respect for something. You never, I never put anything in the bin, you know, when sometimes <laughs> yeah. you don't eat everything that's in the jar and you put it in the bin. Well, never, that never happened to me. Of so course. we appreciate food in a different way. Yeah. That's what we were saying. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And now my last question is all about coffee. <laughs> you ah. say that there's a strong coffee culture in Romania. How does it work? Well, it's a, it's a strong culture and a strong coffee. So, <laughs> it's, <laughs> I, um, yes, it's, um, we love Turkish coffee. So it's that type of um, simmered coffee in, in Ibrik. Mm-hmm 
we actually call the the coffee pot we call it the brick exactly like in in turkey um and that is our favorite way uh to to drink coffee um and it's mostly ca- uh, co- arabica coffee so mm-hmm. very good quality for that um and it's also it's part of the we, we you know we have cafes you know like um uh, coffee shops and um um i'm i can't think of the word it's a uh, when when you go and and have a coffee you know and also have a, a slice of of cake mm-hmm. um and or um, a cookie or something so obviously these coffee shops are more than just selling coffee or liqueur yeah. you can have a liqueur as well there so it's all about a meeting place basically and i think when they started to appear this um um cafes where kind of in the seven, late 17th century because they started to be very popular um in central europe and then later on in in the west um you know there were places where people uh, were able to meet and discuss and discuss politics obviously mm-hmm. uh and later on obviously the read newspapers and yeah. um you know there were really places where artists were able to meet and with politicians and you know so it, it it was kind of a really wonderful atmosphere you know buzzing and full of life and um everyone at any at some point in during the day would stop for a coffee somewhere so this is part of our we do it today as well we we stop for a coffee um and i think i looked at some statistics at some point about uh coffee drinking in Romania and I think that in in the 60s and in the 70s we were uh the you know first country is it yeah we had the the highest consumption of coffee wow. in central and eastern europe so can you imagine <laughs> i think we, because all the time we we kind of say would you like a coffee we don't say <laughs> would you like a drink of water or would you like yeah. a tea would you like a coffee so it's in the morning, it's in the afternoon, it's in the evening. We finish a meal with a coffee. So it's always part of everyday life. So we, even now, I think we drink a lot of coffee. Um, and at some point, especially obviously during communist times, that was really difficult to find very good coffee because mm-hmm. they started to mix it with all sorts of substitutes. So at some point, I think, a coffee was 80% barley and 20% Mm -hmm. coffee. So Mm -hmm. you kind of, you can't possibly drink that. Um, (laughs) But now, you know, if you go to Bucharest and to any cities, big cities in in Romania, you will find a lot of coffee places, cafes. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously in the summer you can drink iced coffee. Mm -hmm. And I have a few recipes in the book, Um, you know, uh, coffee with ice cream, um in it which is a sort of affogato but not quite yes Yes, it's served in lattes um glasses so very tall Mm -hmm. Uh, and you put you know ice cream at the bottom and then you put the coffee on top and you have a layer of like cream on top as well Mm. so it's really delicious is cold yes uh so um it's really you know and also traditionally at home when you drink it then you uh, you know, you have the ground coffee at the bottom of the cup and you turn it and then you <gasps> try to tell the future. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> telling in the coffee. It's, it's really, it's really kind of, um, it's quite traditional. I mean, my grandmother, one of them used to be really good at that. And oh. she always, but always after drinking her coffee, she, she used to turn the cup. So she, she had a little peek inside and saying, oh, your dad is coming home or something like this <laughs> from work. Well, yes, grandmother, it's six o'clock. He's probably on his way. Yes. <laughs> his dad is home. <laughs> yeah, so very, yeah, she was uh, very funny. Oh, that's so fun. Oh, well, you were mentioning the barley coffee. Uh, for us, it's common, still common. Uh, of course, it, it, it is back to a time where um, people could not afford coffee. Yeah. And so it was either barley coffee or chicory coffee with yes, the yes. chicory roots. 
but for example, now my mom, uh, she always drinks barley coffee after dinner and often also after lunch because she cannot stand coffee anymore. And so she has barley coffee. Yes. And also, uh, yeah, sometimes I have it too, but, you know, it's not the same thing as coffee. But um, it's a good substitute when if you want to have something without caffeine, without having a decaf, the barley coffee, it's perfect. It's perfect yes. for that reason. It is. You need to get used to the taste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, exactly. And then, obviously, it's good. We used to also have carob. So carob mm. uh, ground, like, in powder and you can mm-hmm. kind of make like a chocolate hot chocolate from oh, carol yes. Yes. and it's really really tasty and i think that is my favorite rather than barley hickory oh. is better than i mean it's better than barley but sometimes they even use acorn you know uh, oh, yes. to mm-hmm. yes to to substitute it's definitely not a real coffee no um, no but you know we we had to do it and obviously after the second world war so many countries had to substitute coffee yeah. coffee with nothing yeah. you know and in france you know they used all sorts of other substitutes so mm-hmm. uh so yes it it was common but it's just it, it wasn't the real thing and for for a country yeah. that drinks so much coffee mm-hmm. the, the difference was painful basically oh yes <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. I mean, you keep the ritual, but you totally miss the flavor. Yes. Manga, <laughs> <laughs> so we're not there anymore. And yeah. coffee in Bucharest is absolutely delicious. Mm-hmm. So. so yet another reason to visit Bucharest. Yeah. To have coffee. Mm-hmm. And a yeah. cake, probably. <laughs> it's, very, it's linked to the Armenian communities because mm-hmm. before the communist regime, the Armenians were the, the most important coffee makers. And... Mm-hmm. They, they were very skillful at roasting uh, green coffee. Oh. So because the flavor comes from when you roast it. Yes. So they, they had really good machinery and traditional and everything. So basically coffee drinking and coffee making, actually coffee making in Romania was in the hands of Armenians, which oh. was amazing. But when they had to flee the country, we lost, we lost mm-hmm. the, the skills. So, yeah. Yeah. Sad, but yeah, now you have all the your coffee places in Bucharest. Oh, Do yeah. you miss it? Do you miss that tradition or flavor? Uh, I think I miss it because uh, when I go home, I go straight to you know <laughs> to, to have a coffee. Uh, I miss it, but also I can make my own coffee at home. Of course, it's mm-hmm. not quite like that. Even if I use the coffee that is at home, because it's a different type of. Um, of coffee when you make a Turkish coffee mm-hmm. uh, so it's not obviously it's not the same but it's close uh, but yes yes I miss it because I actually miss the environment what it means to to drink coffee in Romania so this that is what I miss a lot so this this was extremely interesting because it's a completely different coffee culture but I can so relate with the importance of having a coffee or when you come back home, having the coffee you're used to. <laughs> so this was incredible. <laughs> so thank you so, so much for answering all the questions, for, for writing this book, because it really opened up uh, a new world for me. Uh, and I found so many interesting recipes and traditions, uh, foods that I want to try. So thank you again for joining us and I will be sure to put all your references for the book and all your social media in this episode show notes so people can find you, but I'm sure they are already following you on Instagram or Twitter or they have already your book. <laughs> I hope so. Thank you so much for inviting me and I hope that one day I'll come and visit you in Italy and we'll cook Romanian. Yeah. I'll cook Romanian yes. and you will eat Romanian. the way. Uh, I- and I'll be super happy. <laughs> thank you so much julia thank you so much thank you bye bye bye